So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down, grab a piece of paper. Don't grab that piece of paper in your neighbor's hands. They need that. Maybe they can rip it in half. But grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, and I want you to write down three goals that you have for 2024. One, two, three. Three goals that you have for 2024. If you're a goal-oriented person or a task-oriented person, you've already thought about this before now. As a matter of fact, you've probably written out a pathway or a journey in how, you know, certain objectives you want to accomplish, steps that you're going to take in order to accomplish those three goals. But that's what I want you to do. You don't have to write down all that other stuff. Just three goals. One, two, three. Three goals for 2024, okay? If you could, I want everybody to do that. If you don't have a piece of paper, maybe pull out your cell phone and, and jot down. So three goals for 2024. I'm going to open in prayer and we're going to jump right in, okay? Father, thank you for this amazing time to be able to get into your word. I believe that your word is truth. Your word is life to our soul. And I just pray, Father, as we get into your word, that you would speak life into our soul. As we're looking out over a coming year, Father, I pray that we be filled with life. That we be filled with your fingerprints all over everything that we do. And the Father, you're going to receive glory as a result. But right now, as we get into your word, Spirit of God, speak so personally to every single one of our hearts beyond what these feeble words of mine can communicate. Spirit of God, you speak and deposit truth very personally to every single person. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I did a little bit of research online about Thomas Edison. The question was asked him, so, Mr. Edison, how did it feel failing 2,000 times in order to invent the incandescent light bulb? Now, I'm saying I had to research this because some people say it was 1,000, some people say it was 2,000, some people say it was 10,000, some people say it was 2,774. I don't know what it is. I actually found someone who did the same research and they couldn't find the right answer. So I'm just using the number 2,000. But it was a question that was given. So Mr. Edison, how does it feel failing 2,000 or whatever times before you, dis before you invented the incandescent light bulb? And he responded with this answer. I didn't fail. I just discovered 2,000 ways in which it can't work. Now, if you don't know Thomas Jefferson, I mean, obviously, I've not met him personally, but he, Edison, I keep saying Jefferson, uh, Edison, I actually wrote in my notes Thomas Jefferson, scratched out Jefferson and wrote Edison. Thomas Jefferson, God bless your soul, but Thomas Edison, and Thomas Edison, if you've ever read anything about him, he was a man, if there was one word that would characterize him, apart from creativity, because he invented so many different things, is perseverance. He learned, he knew how to persevere. Can I just ask you a question? When you watch a movie, let's say like the movie 42, about Jackie Robinson, the first black player in professional baseball, when you watch that movie, are you just really tuned in to how he was so gifted in batting and fielding and stealing bases and you just watched him rise up in the ranks and he finally accomplished a certain goal? Is that what really excites you? Or how about, fa or, or how about uh, Remember the Titans? 
Are you just excited about the remember the Titans? I did say that right, right? Okay. Are you just excited about the very fact that they that they won the state championship? Is it not when you see a success like that? Isn't it the journey, the battle, whatever the struggle that they have to go through in order to accomplish what they accomplished? Like for forty two, it was the very fact that Jackie Robinson was a black man. And there were no black men in professional baseball. That was just unheard of. And they wanted to try it to just see how it would go. Now, if you've watched 42, it's a tremendous story about the odds against Jackie Robinson succeeding. And he did. And he set records. He was a phenomenal baseball player. In remembering the Titans, they had to, they, they, yes, they did win the state championship up against a team that was much larger than they were. But the truth is that when they won the state championship, they had to go through that season with having to deal with this idea of racial reconciliation and learning how to get past their own prejudices to embrace each other. And it's found in the the two main um, characters in the story, a white man and a black man just learning how to work together And it's a beautiful story about how they succeeded, but it's not so much the goal and the fact that they won the state championship, though that's pretty cool, but it's how they got there. It's the journey. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look on that piece of paper in which you wrote all three, one, two, three, three goals, and I want you to ask yourself this question, what kind of struggles will I no doubt encounter in order to accomplish this goal? And I want you to do that. I want you to start jotting down some things, potential problems, potential struggles, potential hardships that you're going to face in order to accomplish this goal. And part of that obstacle is going to be yourself. You might be very dissimilar to Thomas Edison because perseverance is not your strong point. And in order to accomplish this goal, you're going to have to learn more perseverance. So yourself... You may need to write you down there or a character quality that you're weak in, and that is your obstacle. But here is what makes a story great. It's just not about a hero. It's about the odds stacked against him. Stories are boring if there's no struggle. Take the life of Jesus. And I'm not suggesting in any way that that's somehow a made-up story. It's absolutely true. But Jesus lived his life, and it seems as if the struggle of people, the, the religious leaders especially, despising him and saying, there's no way that you're the Messiah, the Christ. There's no way that you are going to be some savior, some redeemer, some you know conqueror. Of course you're not. Because you don't even know how to keep the Sabbath. You heal on the Sabbath. They had a problem with that. Now, Jesus had a good response, but they eventually crucified him. And there, and it's usually the second to the last chapter of the book. The second to the last chapter of the gospel, though in John it's the third to the last, but he dies at the end of the story. And it's like the ultimate defeat, no? But here's what Peter tells us on the day of Pentecost, just 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. He said that death was powerless to keep him in the grave. Could not do it. He rose from the dead because of the power of the Holy Spirit in him, raising him up. Nothing could keep him down. 
That is a story of victory. But it's not just, wow, yeah, Jesus saved the world. But he had to die on a cross with everything stacked. Who has ever heard of being raised physically from the dead? And yet Jesus was. And if you've never seen the movie Risen, I really encourage you, even during this Christmas season, watch that movie. Excellent, excellent movie. The power of the resurrection in the face of the very fact that Jesus was seen dead. Church, you know, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, and this truth was preached from the very beginning, they could have easily produced his body. It, was right, it would have been right there in the tomb. Hey, let's get fun. This idea of this a mistaken tomb, completely false. So, so many problems with that theory. The issue, the, the, the truth is, and many people have set out to disprove the resurrection, and they come back believing in the resurrection. If you've never seen, um, yes, good old unforgettable, what's his name? Uh, the Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. If you've not seen that movie, The Case for Christ, I'm going to encourage you to do that because he set out as an atheist. Because his atheist wife became a Christian. He got so upset with it, he determined he was going to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, became a Christian in the process. And this man was a legal journalist. So he had a Juris Doctorate and a journalism degree. And so he wrote for the Chicago Tribune on legal matters. And you read the book, and it doesn't sound like it's written by a lawyer, but he has that background, and it's very interesting. The movie is about he, how he, as an alcoholic, sought to disprove the resurrection and came away absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at those three goals and understand this, that yes, God, I believe, is tuned in to your goal. I, I believe that your goal is very important. It, it might be a goal that's off base and God at least wants you to move in that direction in order to bring you in a different direction. That might be true. It may not be God's goal, just so you're aware of that. But many of these goals are God's goals. But here's what I'm also going to say. That it is equally, if not more important to God, the journey that you are on. The journey of that goal. What are you going to learn in the process? Whether you accomplish that goal or not. What, are you going, what, what obstacles are you going to overcome in order to accomplish this? What is going to be produced in you? So here's what I want you to do. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I want us to just walk through some of this. It, 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 it's best that we see this in the context of hope. Have you ever been to a point in your life while you're turning there, Romans 8, 18? Have you ever been to a point in your life in which you felt hopeless? in which you have tried so hard to accomplish a goal, and you could not do it. No matter how hard you tried, you could not do it. That promotion you worked so hard for, you did everything that you could, everything that was necessary, and you still didn't get it. Whatever, that, whatever goals, and you fell short of that goal, and it just seemed as if you lost all hope. Maybe it's in a marriage in which you just see your marriage tanking and no matter how hard you try, it just seems like it makes, a, it, makes it worse. And it's just elusive like oil through the fingers and you're going to lose at any moment and you're going to be served divorce papers. This is the stuff of reality and it's hard. When we lose hope, church, we have lost about everything. 
God has given us as his people hope. And so as we're going to go through some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight, I want you to realize that's where this is heading. This is heading towards instilling hope in you that no matter the goal that you have, no matter how hard the journey is, God gives us hope and there is good reason. So let's find out what some of those reasons are, okay? God has something so good in store for us. So let's, do you see that Romans 8 verse 18? Here's what he says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, I need to preface any comments to this verse with saying this. Paul, for the first seven and a half chapters, so we're halfway through chapter 8, he has laid this foundation of the bad news and then introducing the good news. So in order for us to understand the good news, we have to first understand the bad news. And the bad news is this, that there is a wickedness an evil, what Paul called sin, in every single heart. And that we have all participated in this. And sin, the naked truth of sin is that it is rebellion against God. Paul, he does not pull any punches. He, he, he lays it out clearly that we are sin addicts. We are enslaved to our sin. And as hard as we try to do what's good, we still fail. It looks like we did good, but something about it, it's still messed up. And it's because of this. It is because that I am a sinner. And because I am a sinner, because sin is a part of me, I sin. It's part of my nature, so I sin. And, and how on earth am I ever going to be rescued? Because Paul says in chapter 7, hey, I was a follower of the law. I tried so hard to do it. I knew what was right, and yet I could not do it. I failed. My three goals, yet blew all of them every year, he would have said. And yet at the end of chapter 7, he discovers the answer to all of this is found only in Christ. And so by faith in Christ, I am now justified. That is, I am made right before God. Scripture goes on in Paul's other writings and, and writings in the New Testament that when we have faith, our sins are washed away. The very sin that spiritually killed me, washed away and removed, and now the Spirit of God comes in me and regenerates me, and I become a new creature in Christ. I have life in me because God is in me, and he's doing something in me. So when I was 14, growing up in a Christian home, when I was 14, though, and that's when I really became a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, one who truly believed in I believed in up here. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I, I, I knew it. Raised my hand all the time in Sunday school. Got right answers like most of the time, believe it or not. But spiritually, I was dead. 14, that changed. And from age 14 to I'm now 62, the Spirit of God has had me on this journey. And so when we look at this passage, this passage is speaking specifically, not to the entire world, but specifically to those who recognize their depravity in sin apart from Christ and then how they came to Christ and have been justified and made right with God and now the Spirit of God dwells in them. To those people, he gives this promise. There is a glory that is to be revealed in you when you reach heaven. 
the word revealed hints at the fact that it is already there, but just unseen. It is to be unveiled. So when you pull the veil off of something, you are not magically causing something to appear. It's already there, you just can't see it. God is working glory in you. Isn't that strange? We need to unravel what this word glory would even mean then. But God, that is a cute little face looking at her pastor. Hi, sweetie. Anyway, not to be distracted. I would be doubly distracted if my, if, if my grandson were here, but they're, they're on vacation this weekend. But this glory is amazing. We need to just, what is this? Because when we get to heaven, we can't see it now, but then it will be unveiled. It will be revealed to us. What will be revealed to you as a follower of Jesus standing before God as he welcomes you in heaven? <coughs> glory, the glory of God will be unveiled, will be revealed. That means that right now, God is in this process of producing glory in you now just follow me because we're going to take this back to this journey to accomplish those three goals that you have are you ready <clears throat> so what is this glory turn with me then to <clears throat> excuse me second corinthians chapter three <clears throat> And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I wish that I had a lot of time because these verses in their context are amazing. And I would love to just unwrap all of the contexts in great detail because I just love doing that. And you know I love doing that, but I can't do that too much tonight. So I'm just going to read this verse and we're going to dig into it. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory the literal Greek is from glory to glory ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit <clears throat> and so when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai receiving the law, he had, a veil, he had to put a veil over his face because from being in the very presence of God and the glory of God, his face glowed. His face glowed. <clears throat> and in order to, for people to not see that glory fading, because even though physically it would fade, spiritually he was still the man of God, but the, he did not want them to see that glory. So he veiled his face. <clears throat> we, <clears throat> excuse me, when we come to Christ, that veil is taken away so that God's glory shines through us. What is that glory then? It tells us here. We are being transformed into Jesus' likeness. It doesn't mean that you ladies are going to start growing a beard. I'm not suggesting that. Or if Jesus had long hair, that you guys are going to start growing long hair and just can't stop. I'm not suggesting this. That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about the character of Christ that's going to be formed in you. Like Thomas Edison, I mean, I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I don't know enough about his life. 
but there was the character of Christ that he did reflect, and that was what I already told you, perseverance. There's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, humility, self-control. No law against these. They are welcomed. These are things that we need in our life. We reflect Jesus when we do these things. When you're joyful, when you refuse to allow the stuff of this world to get you down, and you remain joyful because you understand the very point that I'm going to be making in this message, and you're filled with joy, that reflects Christ. That's part of the glory of Jesus being revealed in you because you have faith in what God is going to do. And we're going to need to find out what that faith is about. Faith for what? But I'm just letting you know right now, it is the glory of God being produced in you. It's the character of Christ being formed in you. We need to discover, well, how is he going to do that? I imagine most of you have a decent idea as far as how he does that. We want to unwrap that just for, for, in just a moment. But church, Jesus is beginning to produce this in you, and you're beginning to look like him in character with ever-increasing glory. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So turn the one page to the right. At least in most Bibles, it's probably one page. And verses 17 to 18. <clears throat> I'm going to just back up and read verse 16 to you too, just because I like it so much. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Have you ever tried working toward a goal and you're so frustrated you just can't accomplish the goal? Like for me, it's trying to fix a car. That's so hard for me. I'm mechanically inclined, but it's like, wow, the YouTube really made this look 10 times easier than what it is. God bless YouTube. I appreciate YouTube so much. However, I just, if it takes one hour, I just multiply it generally by a factor of 10. And that's about how long it will take me. And that's pretty close. But wow, do not, we, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. I think we can all say amen to that. Yes, we have certainly felt like we're wasting away, wearied. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light. Now listen to this. Our light and momentary troubles. That is what he's calling what you're going through right now in your life. The struggle you're facing right now, he is calling it light and momentary. M maybe we understand the momentary, but Paul, you've not been in my shoes. What do you mean calling it light? All I'm going to just say is read 2 Corinthians 11, and you will see all of the horrible things that Paul had to go through. So Paul is telling you, yeah, maybe compared to him or compared to Jesus, what you're going through is light. Regardless, he's saying it's light it's momentary troubles. These, these things, the bad stuff in life that we call it, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of those troubles, far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is, so we do not, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, I'll get that right, but on what is unseen. Church, what is unseen? See, it's that glory that's being produced in you that you cannot see until that great day and it's going to be revealed to you and it's like, what? That's what you did? That horrible situation in my life and, and now I get to see what you actually produced? Really? It's amazing. 
God is going to reveal to you all of this stuff that he's producing in your life that you just cannot see. Maybe you get a little glimpse, but you can't see it today. You get it. These, they, they don't feel like light. They feel heavy, momentary troubles. They are what's producing or helping produce the glory of Christ in you. The reflection of Jesus responding to your enemies with love and patience rather than, oh, yeah, that son of a gun, I'll teach him a thing or two, right? Hmm. Wow. These light and momentary troubles, they are producing something in us. So what do we do? We keep our eyes focused on the things that we can't see. Does that not sound ironic to you? Focus, keep your eyes on what you can't see. Okay, I can't see what God is producing in my life. So how do you do that? And, and as we move over to Romans chapter 5, he begins to tell us. So do that. Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith. So that's the qualifier. You have been justified through faith. Not through your good works. Not through observing the law. But through your faith in Jesus Christ. Not just acknowledging, yeah, I know that Jesus is alive. And yeah, I know, I heard, you know, that he rose from the dead. Yeah, of course, he was crucified first. Then he rose from the dead. And you might be able to recite so many catechismal questions, answers. You might get it all right. I had to go through all of those catechism questions and such and provide the, the memorize the answers, right? And, but you know what? It, it's so much more than that. Faith in Jesus Christ is this stepping into a relationship with him and surrendering your heart to him. I am yours. I am the servant. You are the master. That's why he's called Lord. See, if he's not your Lord, he can't be your Savior. Because you have to acknowledge him as Lord. You're, the one, you're my boss. You're the one I yield to. I turn to you because it's against you that I have offended. My sin has offended the holy God. And there's no way I can pay that debt off. No possible way. Jesus had to die on the cross for, and pay for my sins because it's life for life. If you've sinned, you deserve death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. And it's in the Old Testament as well. Paul's just reiterating it. Look, guys, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How? Because he paid the death that I deserved. He did that. And his death was, was worth something. As God in flesh, it was worth something. When he died, God died on that cross for you. Jesus did that for you. He was punished in your place. And so when you have faith in him, you're acknowledging he took my place. He was my substitute. So, as, as, as we're talking about being justified through faith, it's not through the law. It's not by doing good works. 
That's the little hamster on the treadmill trying so hard, you know, one day I'll make it to the other side of the cage. No, you won't. You're going to stay in that little wheel going as fast as you want but getting nowhere. And I think we can all acknowledge, been there, done that, right? Yeah, for some of you, it's like, yeah, that's a story of my life. Working really hard, getting nowhere. But it's what he's producing in you. So you can feel like the hamster on a treadmill trying to work, 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 work. Am I good in your eyes? Got, not, got, hey, okay, I'm going to work some more. It's not about that at all. It's about Jesus paying the price for your sins. And faith is then surrender to him. He's now my Lord, my rescuer, my savior. And he goes on to say, therefore, you know, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. See, that's how you get the peace of God in you. Reconciliation, you're friends with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So as a follower of Jesus, you stand in grace. What's the big deal about standing in grace? Grace is everything that God has that I don't but desperately need. I'm going to say that again if you've not heard it. If you've been to Powerline enough, you've heard me say that a lot actually. But if you've not heard it, grace is everything that God has, including the plan of salvation. Everything that God has that I don't desperately need and i emphasize desperately need because that's where faith comes in you're desperate it's not this casual bip yeah i believe in jesus sure yep willing to sacrifice willing to die for what are you talking about of course not then you don't have faith you don't understand faith faith comes from a desperate heart i surrender i give up it's only in surrender to christ by the way we actually gain victory right and so here's the grace. We stand in this grace. It is ample for everything that we need. We, we stand in this grace, not because of our works, but because of what, church? Our faith, right? Now let me move on. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Remember I said, you can't do life without hope. You can't. Hope is so central to who we are as human beings. We need hope. Even a little bit, but we need hope. Hope in what? Hope in the glory of God. Hope in the glory of God. That sounds a little bit theological to me. We need to unwrap that. And Paul does. Just look at this next verse. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice. He's not changing subjects, so follow him. We rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So let's follow that. We have three goals. You probably have more than three goals. Or maybe some of you are struggling and you're not goal-oriented at all and you just have one or two. Think of another one, please. Three goals. You have three goals for 2024. You will encounter obstacles. I can guarantee you, at least in one of them, if not all of them, you're going to encounter obstacles, struggles, sufferings, trials, in order to accomplish those goals. As you experience those sufferings, those trials, those struggles, testings, if you will, it's going to start producing something in you. When Thomas Edison, for the first time, tried inventing the incandescent light bulb, it did not work. 
He did it again. And it didn't work. He did it again, and it didn't work. He did it again. Church, I could go on for 2,000 for times, okay? Or maybe it's 10,000 times, or maybe it's just 2,707. You get the idea. But he over and over and over, and he would not quit. See, that's perseverance. And that's what you need. So as you're going through trials, suffering, struggles, trying to accomplish some of these goals, God is going to start producing. And, and who is this promise to? Is it to just anybody? No, he says those who stand by faith in grace. See, grace is everything that God has that I don't but desperately need. And so it's strength, it's character, it's insight and wisdom. I can't tell you how many times I faced a problem. I tried and tried, couldn't figure it out. And I just said, God, I want to give up, but I, I, I can't afford to give up. But I tell you what, I don't have the answer. I mean, I have been there so many times. Like, I feel like every week, but I've been there so many times. God, I don't have wisdom. I need help. Show me what to do. I am standing in his grace, and that grace is ample for me because I'm desperate for what I don't have. But I know I can get it from God. And so here, he's, he's producing perseverance. Hang in there. God is doing something. He's producing something in your life. And I know we're just so consumed, but <clears throat> the only thing I'm concerned about is this goal. It's rescuing my marriage. That's a great goal. But I tell you what, you're going to run into obstacles. And God is going to permit that because he's trying to produce something in you. And that is equally, if not even more important. Yes, even more important than your marriage. God is trying to produce the character of Christ in you. That doesn't excite everybody. But can I just say that for God, that's like everything. How you choose to live your life and reflect him is everything. When I stand before God, let's just say Tom Brady stands before God. Or who's your favorite hero? Who's your favorite person that you look up to? And they're standing before God. And they, he, he, Tom Brady is not going to say, but God. But God. Didn't I set all of these records? Come on, give me a break. Isn't, does, isn't that just a little bit astounding because it amazed everybody in America that I broke all of those records? Except, of course, when he played the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. Just had to throw that in, by the way. God is going to say, mm, but not really impressed, Tom. Because you know what he's more concerned about? He's more concerned about our standing with him and what he is producing in your heart. That's what he's more concerned about. But rescuing your marriage, yes, of course. Do everything you can, but God is going to do something in you in the process. I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 61. Juliana actually read everything that I'm about to read to you maybe two or three weeks ago. I can't remember. 
<clears throat> when I asked her later, it was probably three months ago, Dad. What are you talking about? But I, in my mind, it was like two or three weeks ago. <clears throat> in Isaiah 61, this is actually a prophecy about Jesus, the anointed one. Anointed one in Hebrew is Mashiach, Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. This is a prophecy about Christ. To follow, I'm, I'm not going to read it specifically, but I'm going to kind of outline it a little bit for you so that you can follow it maybe a little better, okay? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, Mashiach anointed me, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them who are grieving in Zion a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes generally would be poured on the head as a demonstration of sorrow. To bestow on them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. To bestow on them a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. How is Jesus going to do this as the anointed one? He's going to rescue them. He's going to open their eyes that are blinded. He's going to heal. Their hearts. Those who are captive in sin, he's going to break the shackles and the power of sin in their life to set them free. Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sins, but to rescue us from our sins. And listen to this. They, all of those that he does this for, who believe in him, trust in him, they, do you see that at the end of verse 3, they will be called oaks. Of righteousness. Now, personally, I've never seen a righteous oak. But I don't think somehow that's what he's really trying to say. An oak? See, we have an oak, a live oak. I've never seen a, well, I have seen a dead oak because that's in our front yard. But a live oak, play on words, sorry, a live oak is in our side yard and it's huge. It's been there for 24 years in our side yard and it, it's, it's big. We've had to trim it back. And it's way above our house. It's just, it's super huge. And it's strong. Our kids love to try and climb it, even though the first branch is about eight feet high. They still like to try and get up to that first thick branch and wrap their arms around it. And they, my, my grandkids can climb anything. But it's huge. It's strong. When hurricanes come, they don't move an inch. <clears throat> This oak of righteousness, because that's what you are as a follower of Jesus, you're strong. You're planted and rooted in him. And no hurricane force wind will knock you over if you're standing in his grace and relying upon him. You cannot be moved. The only time in which you're moved is when you're filled with fear and, oh my goodness, run away. And you remove yourself from that access of his grace. Instead of looking to him and relying fully upon him, you look to your own strength. You look to the strength of a friend or someone else who's just, well, yeah, you should try this and try this. And, you know, one of the top ten self-help books from Amazon or whatever. And it's like, no, I, I'm going to get my help from this 
truth from God himself. See, you'll be called an oak of righteousness. You'll be called a planting of the Lord. For what, church? Look at what is this. For the display of his splendor. You, on this earth, are called to shine and radiate that very glory of God. Remember, you're being transformed from glory to glory into the likeness of Christ. That likeness of Christ, you are called to radiate it. Be Jesus on this earth. Look like him. Walk like him. Think like him. Obey the Father like him. Do the will of the Father like him. When you... When you display the character of Christ as you are journeying towards that goal, you are displaying his splendor. If you were to close your eyes, what would splendor look like? When I try doing that, I just see a bunch of light. Maybe it's because I'm not real imaginative, but I just see a bunch of light, like, and that's you. As you're radiating his splendor. Let me just go back again to those movies that you so love. Heroes, or they, they accomplished something great, but they had to do it going through conflict. Some struggle. If you do any kind of reading about what makes a good book, what makes a hero in a book, they always they either have a character deficiency and that's their struggle or the struggle is outside of them. It's in the world. It's obstacles, enemies, and they have to get through it. It's racism, whatever it is, but they're able to still press on with perseverance and accomplish that goal. As a follower of Jesus with access to his throne of grace as we have, church, we display his splendor. And then it goes on to say this. Look at verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Is he simply talking about cities? Is he simply talking about stone placed upon stone? If we were to really look into what he means by ancient ruins, he is talking about the very people of Israel themselves. He's talking about Mike Curtis before he turned 14. Mike Curtis was a devastated land, a ruined city. Now I might look back and say, yeah, an ancient city, but uh, I won't go there. The truth, though, is sin devastated me. Sin devastated you guys. And Jesus now steps into that ruined city, and he begins to rebuild it. See, that's why life is hard for you. It's hard for me, too, by the way. It's hard because that forces us to rely upon his grace so that he can produce more of Jesus in me, in you. His glory is now reflected. I can't wait for heaven because I don't see a real good picture of what he's producing in me. But then I will. And then it's like, oh, I get it. If I only knew that's what you were doing way back then, wow, would I have persevered. So you just take that to heart. When, whatever you're going through, whatever you think God is going to, he's, he's trying to accomplish, and it's like it's just not happening. That's your goal, and it's not working out. God is doing something. Just wait for that day in which he gets to show you all that he 
he's producing all the hundred different reasons why he allowed that tragedy, that crisis in your life. And it's like, well, God, if I had just only known. So right now, your pastor is telling you, you know it now. No excuses. Church, let's persevere. Let's persevere. If you have ever seen a chick being hatched, it, it's, I, I don't know, I get the word adorable comes to my mind, but he has this little tooth on the end of his beak, right? And he just pokes a hole, over, pokes a hole, and then he, apparently he, he pokes around and he begins to make a circle and then he pushes against it and pushes against it and finally it breaks. And you have to just pause and say, this, okay, this didn't happen by evolution. God created this chick to have to work so hard to get out of that shell. The worst thing that you can do is break the shell for him. The worst thing that you can do is help him out because he needs the struggle in order to survive. It does something in him. By the end, he's exhausted, but he recuperates, and he needed that struggle in order to face life. Not to make it overly dramatic, but he needed that. He needed the struggle to get through life. Church, do you hear? You needed the struggle to get through life. Did you hear me say that? That's what you need. You need the struggle. Now, if I were to say, how many of you are looking forward to your struggle, trying to accomplish those three goals? I don't think anyone would raise their hand. But I'm just going to let you know, there's the struggle ahead, but there's ample grace that you're standing in that you can accomplish the goal. And if it is a misplaced goal, and I have those two, he's going to lead me to the right goal. But he's going to do something in me. He's going to do something in you. Right now he's doing something in you if you're a follower of Jesus. That's his promise. So that one day, church, one day you're going to stand before him. And he's, he's going to say, are you ready for this? And he's going to unveil it. And the glory, the character of Christ will radiate to, from, and, from you. And it's like, God, this is what I've been destined for. You've been producing this in me this whole time. And now you spend eternity with him. Perfected. You're not there yet. But perfected then. Forever and ever. To enjoy him and his presence. I, met, I entitled the message... Yeah, what did I entitle it? Our 2024 journey. You could say our 2025, 2020, or our life journey. But that's what this is all about. This is about our journey in walking in God's ample grace to accomplish these goals, but in this journey to radiate his glory as a display of his splendor. Church, let that word encourage you. God has given you hope. Hope. You never don't have hope unless you throw it away. There is ample hope. Because your suffering is producing perseverance, which is producing character, and it's producing hope. Because now you know that every struggle you go through is accomplishing this character. Not just character, but it's skill. What skills you're needing. Skills you're needing for a lifelong relationship, a marriage. Skills you're needing to be a best friend. Skills you're needing to minister to people. 
character you're needing to reflect Christ. Because people don't just need truth, the gospel, they need the love of Jesus to exemplify that gospel. They need that. Let's live it. Okay, church? Let's live this journey together. Amen? Can you stand with me? And I just want to bring it to everybody's attention. I finished early today, okay? We ended worship early, and so I'm ending the message early, too. Because I usually go to 7.30, even if, no matter when we end. Anyway, I just had to throw that little thing in there. Thank you. Let, let's, just, let's just pray right now, okay? Because some of you are going through some really hard times. As a matter of fact, the th three things you wrote down, you wrote them down last year and the year before and the year before. And you're just kind of wondering, ah, is there any sense in this? These are good goals. And you keep trying. And all I can tell you is, I'm, I, I don't know whether you're going to accomplish that goal or a modified version of it or what, but this I can assure you. God is doing something so good in this process. And if he's not, because you're fighting him and angry with him, if you can release that church and let him produce it, that will make the complete difference. So, Father, we give it back. Lord God. We're entrusting our souls to you. As we're standing in this grace. We just say, Jesus, as I run this race of life,